I really want to emphasise that what you achieved there was taking three members of staff, 56,000 turnover in a year, to I, you know, hundreds of staff um, with 150 million turnover. But I learned the world of business and products like Pegasus and accounting, and, and that, that was my degree. Uh, my parents decided to remortgage the house to reinvest that back into the business to keep it going. It wasn't enough. The business collapsed, house was repossessed, we were homeless. And even now, I mean, Zero as a business is 15 years old and still growing at 30%, which is insane when you think about it. I mean, like, for a 15-year-old business that has grown exponentially over that time to still be growing at the rate that it is, is a huge feat. Uh, an achievement which I'm sure the team are very proud of still um, but it's pretty easy it's like you've got to keep at least doubling. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Gary Turner the co-founder of Zero UK. In the first episode we heard about Gary's journey from childhood his parents business and his career through to the point where he received that message on LinkedIn offering him the opportunity to grow Zero UK. Now let's find out how that journey went. You're sort of going with your gut. You're doing. You're, you're, you're doing that looking and, and sort of looking for that. Um, I, so the, the Zero era is. I, I want to come down to uh, some sort. Of, you know, some of the stories and do that because some of the takeaways that would be great to talk through is sort of the thing that what the journey really is like growing. A business like that but I really want to emphasize that what you achieved there was taking three members of staff 56,000 turnover in a year to I you know hundreds of staff um, with 150 million turnover um, is the sort of thing that you'll have you know you don't have to throw a stone very far to come across an aspiring um, sort of dreaming on a wannabe entrepreneur saying I want to build the next that's what I want that's what I want to achieve um, you did it and uh, would really love to hear sort of various first of all some of the stories of sort of what happens during that journey and how you did it yeah oh my goodness um, it was it was amazing so 12 and a half nearly 13 year period um, and uh, partly I think what um, was a huge help to me is this idea that I'd done the prep. You know, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd, I'd read the Clutrine Manifesto. I'd understood what it meant to be authentic as a communicator and a leader. I, I had little reverence for the traditional world of business, definitely a, a disruptive mindset love of technology um, and w one of the one of the, the the ways I might describe my skill set is like I'm a general manager with a capital G capital M you know, I, I can shake a stick at pretty much anything and therefore in the early like two or three years as we're beginning to kind of get zero up and running and we had no marketing team in the UK. There was like a couple of people in New Zealand who would maybe like help us with a, a few bits and pieces overnight. But there was no marketing team in the UK. There was, we had two salespeople. We had one customer service person. 
and one kind of technical consultant and me. And um, see, I've heard stories um, of literally you go to like an exhibition with a couple of pop-up banners. Yeah. And people today will look at Zero as a you know a multi hundred million hundred yep. million pound company, and you're the manage, you were the managing director of this huge organisation with hundreds of staff. But literally, it was you going to a business show yeah. with a couple of pop-up banners standing at the show. As um, like we were just at the business show a couple of weeks ago, and you got people walking by and you say, "Have a look at this. Um, you you're doing that." Been there, be, like because we we are so we're, we're 40, 50 people in New Zealand, three or four people in the UK. No brand, really any. I mean, we're probably spending five grand a month on marketing and kind of customer acquisition. So not not a lot. To, to play with either. And so it is proper bootstrap. If you need something done, you better as well just get on and get, get it done yourself. And so my, my kind of, um, my ability to turn my hand to anything that needed to get done, I think uh, because I'd learned to do that because I'm just like a hands-on operator. And so for example, if, if we, we were just launching a new feature or there was something that we thought was worthy of putting out a press release or something, I would just write the press release. Um, I would write the blog post. Um, if we needed to do a video case study interview with an accountant or an early customer to put it onto the website, I would take the video camera along and I would do the interview. I would then edit the video. I mean, literally, I mean, we have no office. I'm, we're, we're all working from home. There's five or six of us all working from home. We're, we're using, it's funny now how the world has completely changed to, to this reality, but every Monday we would do like a Skype team call and all the things that businesses have had to do in the last two years because of necessity, we were doing because that's just how we ran the business. Um, because we were just like real, really early and really small, and but very digital. And so I, like, I was, I, I, I would, I was HR, I was IT, I was like, if we hired somebody new, I'd go into the Apple website and put my credit card in and buy them a laptop and get it delivered to so the like, for, for like IT fulfillment, logistics. We were, I remember one really great story, we were, we were doing a conference up in Birmingham at a big accountants conference, and Zero was there as an exhibitor, so we'd have like the pasting tables and the brochures and the putting your business card in the fishbowl and all that <laughs> stuff you do. Um, and because I'm running like everything, I'd forgotten to, to get the, the brochures couriered up to the venue. And I'm like, oh, I haven't done that. But because it was only like 40 minutes up the road, I thought, well, I'll just deliver them. And so I picked my daughter up from school and I'd loaded all of these boxes of brochures into the back of my car, drive up to the office of where this events company was based up in near the NEC, fortunately, where the venue was. And they says, yeah, I've got, I'm here, I've got a delivery from zero. It's a bunch of boxes and things like that. And so they take me in and carry them through. And then, and then I leave. And then the following day, we're at the event. And then I had like a 10-minute speaking slot or something like that. And the person that was organizing the event then saw who she thought was the courier <laughs> from the day before coming in to do a talk about the future of technology. And so that's a great example of like, if a job needs done, yeah. and if you're not very organized and you screwed up and you forgot to do it, you may as well fix it yourself. And so I think one of the things that really helped us in the first two or three years, loads of belief, having great products, but I mean, lots of things going for us, was my ability to get stuff done really quickly. So if we needed a press release done, 
um, or we need something creative or something built or something dealt with, I'd go, right, I'll do that. And then within 15 minutes, it'd be done. And I think somebody without that capability or that skill set would go, right, I need to speak to my PR contractor who's on holiday for a couple of days, and then I'll tell them what I need. And then they'll write a draft, and then they'll send it to me by Monday, and I'll make a couple of changes, and then it'll be ready to go in about a week. And within 15 minutes of recognizing the need for the press release, I'd already written it, and it was out there. See, that's and what so, I love about small business. Yeah. I'm, I love looking at the, um, the guys manning the cameras here. Um, to Jeremiah, like just to, to my right here, it, it, it was me that drove down and picked up his new laptop from the, the store to, that he works from yep. and set it up. It's like, is that what small business does? Is you just, you're in it, you're on it, yeah. and um, if something needs doing, it doesn't matter who it is. Where, when the, where I don't have such a passion for big corporate businesses because then it moves into, as you're alluding to there, the departments where it's, okay that's not within my remit i don't do that or it's that um agency that does that so we, we won't touch on it it'll have to wait and the it also gives which i think plays really well to getting zero sort of you know getting that leap for going is you're agile you can make those changes you can you can spin on a sixpence and um you can react quickly mm. yeah and i think um, huge enabler, and I think it, it meant, like, there's a great saying, um, Rod Drury used to say this a lot, although I don't think he originated it, is it's not the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow. Yeah. And there's something about that that's so powerful. If you can get something done, you can resolve an issue, you can seize an opportunity quicker than your competitors can, then that's a massive advantage. That ability, there's a, uh, Aaron Levy, who's the CEO of Box, the online storage and productivity platform, he put something on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, which I love. And it's like the clock speed of your organization. Remember we used to buy processors yeah. and they'd be like 60 megahertz or 90 megahertz, the clock speed of the chip. Yeah. And I love what- have the little turbo button. That's right, yeah, yeah. They, they actually didn't really do anything. Um, I'd, I love this idea of clock speed. Like the, the pace, the, the vibrancy, the hustle that you can imbue into a business and into its culture. And if you can, and if you can capture that and just go for it and just get stuff done, massive, massive enabler. And with you having that, um, I would use the term can-do attitude of literally the, um, I'm, I'm part of that team. I'm, I'm, I'm here working with you guys. Um, how much of a difference do you feel that made to the team? I mean, I would argue throughout the whole duration, but at those days where you're get, you know, you're building this um, project, you're building this enterprise. De definitely, you've got to um, you've got to be able to bring people with you. What one of the one of the most important skills you need to develop whether you're founding your own business or leading a business or a manager for the first time, it doesn't really matter, is that you've got to, A, you've got to be able to identify great talent, like exceptional talent, and you've got to convince them to come and work with you, right? Um, and so you have to have the, the ability to build empathy and trust with people really early on, recognize the potential in somebody and, and then convince them to stop what they're doing for somebody else and come and join you. And I think there's something 
there about trust. And people want to work with people that they trust and that they can get behind and that can take them somewhere or they can learn something from. Uh, and, and I've always been, all the way through my career, I've always been very instinctively le led. I want to like follow my own nose and my own curiosity and be very genuine and authentic. And I think part of that is just coming from a classic kind of working class, good working class values where you just don't mess people about, say it as it is, do what you, say, do what you said you're gonna do, look after people, don't be an asshole, that kind of like good, straightforward working class background. But then marrying that with this idea of, well, people want to be treated like humans. People don't buy bullshit anymore. And that relates also to the people that you're bringing into the business. And so I was able to convince some amazing talent, not only to join me on the journey, but then to kind of have them follow me and get all the way along. Um, and I think there is something about authenticity in there and being prepared to get in and just, the, 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 there's, a, there's this sense of being vulnerable. A lot of people in leadership positions feel like they have to role play, that they have all the answers, that they're like the, 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 the kind of smartest person in the room and there's a bit of ego there and that's all bullshit actually. You need to know what your job is. Your job is to hire and bring great people in, enable them, drive them, inspire them, lead them, coach them and help them and then get out the way. Um, and and I, actually I've learned um, that that ability to just be who you are and well, I don't know how to do that or uh, I'm not very good at this or actually I think you should do that because I've no idea what I'm doing. And so many leaders struggle with that and it's been a huge enabler for me and it builds trust in the people that you've got in your team. I always use the analogy when I'm talking to my team or uh, people coming in is my job is just to make sure that everybody has the tools they need, um, the freedom to do, um, and um, the support they need. And exactly say, get out of the way and let them de develop and uh, sort of progress and do, and within their career as um, the best they they can do. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to be getting in the way. Yeah, it's it's so true, and I love what you say just there about um, sort of being too proud almost like you know just you know expecting to know all the answers as you're talking we've we've recorded a bit for uk business forms very much on that subject um as a sort of business advice snippet anyway is that the if i i feel that if you are the business founder or the leader of the organization and you're there saying i know the answer this you know the answer that you're then stifling the people around you from feeling like they have the the ability to voice their own thoughts of ideas because all you're doing in effect is over shout shouting over them they where if you turn around and say um this is what i think but i'm not sure i'm not sure if that's the right way what do you, you know and they're just enabling people so but choose to or don't share your own ideas let them speak but, but allowing everybody to say what they think put their ideas in the pot, you get the best solutions. Um, everybody wants the same goal. Yeah. Um, if you've got the right team around you, everybody wants the same goal. It doesn't matter what idea is gone with. Yeah. Um, the, just everybody put it in and let's just see what, you know, even if you want to A and B test it or something, it doesn't matter, Just let's just see. I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, I, I, 
I remember our um, conversation with uh, Zero's uh, CEO, Steve Vamos, two or three years ago, we're, d we're doing like a one-to-one -one or something like that. And, and he says, well, what, what do I do? Like boil it down to like, what is my job? And by this time, I mean, Zero, when I finished up last year is in the UK is like over 600, maybe 700 people, 150 million in revenue, much, much bigger business than it was. And, and I'm still loving it and still involved in it, but obviously no longer curating brochures to <laughs> events. Um, and and the, the best metaphor for how my time at zero, how it began and how it evolved, again, is like a very visual thing, is that I, I remember saying to Steve, I, said, I think I'm a window dresser, right? And he's like, okay, please explain what you mean by that. And because when I, what I have got the ability to do without getting in the way of people, is to have a, a very clear visualization of what good looks like. You know, and if you can imagine my weird metaphor here, you're standing out on the pavement of your shop front, which is your window to the world, right? I mean, literally, that's how you get people into your shop. And if you really think about it, you want that to be as attractive and as appealing and as enticing and, and whatever other values you want to convey as possible. And so I love this idea of, of when you're running a business or building a business or whatever, is to, is to take that step back and go, well, how does this look, not to me or to my team, how does this look to a potential customer? How does this look to a passerby? Does this convey the right kind of qualities or does it, does it grab their attention in a way that's compelling? And I think what I love doing and, and I think I was good at one of the few things I was good at was like having a very clear picture in my mind of what the potential, what the shop window for zero should be and guiding people to that without doing it for them. But then also knowing where we're going off track here, you know, actually that, that, that side of the window is a bit imbalanced and there's a couple of dead wasps down in the right hand side. So we need to get that cleared up. You know what I mean? This, yeah. this idea of curating or visualizing or compiling this future state, this end state for what is the optimal way we can present this product or this argument or this discussion, sharing that vision with people and letting them get on and do it, but then being there to jump in if it goes off track. And I loved that. I was like, I loved helping smart people build that shop front and then execute it. So that's, that's how you described your role towards the end. Was that your role? Did you have that clear vision and picture at the very beginning as well? Yeah, I did, I did. And I, and I think, just saying it there, I think it's all connected to the way my brain works about this visualization thing. I'm a very visual thinker. Um, and, I, and I've also kind of done some, some thoughts about, done some thoughts, there's, there's, a, there's a killer way of communicating. I mean, this makes me sound very erudite. I've done some <laughs> thoughts, I've done some thinking about how, how I write. And I, if you actually look at when I write, I use language like this feels right. This doesn't feel right. I use the word feel. So I'm a very kind of instinctively led thinker and I visualize a lot. I can feel eyes looking at me and stuff because literally any of my team would get I like when they receive uh, communicate with me, whether it's verbally written, yep. I use that same. Yeah, I feel I'd, the um, when we're 
sort of talking about direction strategy for UKBF, yeah. where we're heading our plans for next year, things like that. It's I talk about how I want the member of the community to feel. Yeah. I, I talk about how I want people to feel when they see the brand. Yeah. And I get um, I I feel like that's not quite what we do. It's, the, yeah. The, it's, there's a, there's something a, inside that just trying to manifest, but yeah. I, and I used I used like if some this feels like the right thing to do, or this doesn't feel right, or this seems wrong, or this seems right. There's a very emotional kind of instinctive way of engaging and, and communicating and seeing the world, um, and I think and, and I think everybody's wired up differently and maybe you and I are, are similar in that respect. But the good news is, if that happens to be the way that I operate and engage and communicate, then people buy uh, emotions, people relate to emotions, we're all humans, you know what I mean? So that's the reality of people want to feel good. Yeah. You know, if you go and you go to a nice, out for a nice meal, it's not like you're consuming some calories that are presented to you in a pretty way. You are, you feel great, you know, because you're yeah, in a nice environment. Serious. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what's one of the big shifts of the last 20 years has been this, this idea of customer experience. Yeah. It's no longer just about having a great product. Um, partly because uh, there's nowhere to hide if you've got a bad product, the internet will smoke you out pretty quickly. So everybody has to have a great product. And so therefore that's just tickets to the game now. What you've got to do is every single touch point that somebody has with your company or your brand or your product or your service has to be joined up, has to be uh, congruent and, 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 and consistent and has to be amazing. And that, those are feelings, those are experiences that, that people buy on now. And so fortunately for me, I've, I've always related to that way of thinking and working and communicating and that helped me in the earlier part of my career but even when like in the first like couple of months of, of, of zero in the UK I had a very clear picture in my mind of what the potential could be my frustration was not everybody else had that yet no oh, you're just like another one of those like cloud accounting products like no, 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 no we're not actually we've got a much bigger vision here but that will expose itself in due course and so I think I had it um, from the very beginning, and that helped me curate and build that shop window in the first year, and then every year subsequent to that. What was, um, so during those early years, what was the first um, milestone that really impacted you um, in, the, in that journey? Because uh, a, a business with that much growth, um, without a doubt, would have had a, quite a number of milestones. So you're, you're at the point where there's less than a handful, or a handful of you all working from home remotely, yep. doing Skype calls on a Monday yep. uh, to catch up. What was the next milestone that Zero hit, where you sat there and thought, sort of took a step back and was like, we've just we've hit we hit this point now this is good yeah that's a great question because i think um um you know that there's this kind of romanticized um idea that people have and and you, know, like you look at the story of of facebook and like what like one minute nowhere and then the next minute boom and everybody's driving ferraris and it's all like one day it just goes off like a rocket and the reality is it doesn't work like that 
Um, uh, but I do believe there are lots of little micro milestones and inflection points along the way. And as an aggregate of all of those tiny steps build up to one progressive big step over time. And so I remember probably it would be 2011. Um, and so I'd been, I'd been going a couple of years and I'm like zero in those days, 20, 2010, 2011, we might be doing, I don't know, 10 new customers a day. 15 new customers a day would be the kind of run rate we would get in terms of signups to the to the product, which when you consider there's like three and a half million businesses globally using zero and at some point in the next year, like a million in the UK, when you're, when you're adding 10 a day, that's a pretty slow curve. Um, but but even just noticing when 10 a day became 15 a day and then 15 a day became 25 a day, and you go, you know what, this is like, a, this is doubling. You know what I mean? This is, so the numbers are still really small and there's no Ferraris in, in the driveway or in the car park yet, but there's a real sense that this is, there's a, there's a continuity here to the growth that we're seeing that's good. So at least it's still growing and growing in a predictable way. And then by about 2011, going into 2012, we're maybe doing, I don't know, 30 customers a day. Um, and we're beginning to sign up more and more accountants to the platform and to the program. And there was a real sense that this was the next big shift that was happening and people were beginning to go, what's this cloud thing all about? And that was a, that was a big milestone because I thought, okay, we're gonna have to get an office now. We're gonna have to hire some more people. We've proven the model. We've proven we can get some runs on the board, but we can no longer run the whole business from home with like five people. We, know, we need to go and hire more salespeople. We need to go and hire a marketing person. We need to go and like build out the next layer or the next version of the operating model. And we're gonna to have to put them in a room together. And so we, we got a serviced office in Milton Keynes, um, just down the road, um, 20, early 2012. And I think it had like 10 desks in it. And it felt, oh my God, like we've gone legit now. We've actually got an office. Um, and we actually then started hiring more people. And then within like three months, we'd knocked the wall down and taken on another office and then another three months. And so we were the best customers ever to this uh, services office company. Cause I've we, been to that office, I remember. yeah, and we were like knocking walls down all the time to the point where we had like about five or six different compartments all over this building and probably about 40 staff. And we thought we now need to actually have our own place. And then the next milestone after that was 2014 when we got our own office. Um, and we had maybe about 60, 50, 60 people by that point. Do you know what I've just realized whilst you're talking there? The, um, when you're talking about your office, the, um, I'm literally, um, people listening to this won't see me do this, but I'm literally looking at Jacob here on the camera because John Thorpe, previous guest, ACS, they kitted out Zero's office. Oh, wow. They literally, um, I just love how some of our, like, the, the guests are sort of like, Pass of cross, it just, I just, yeah, I'm getting like a fuzzy feeling just the thought of that, but like how um, connected all the sort of yeah. stuff. But um, back on track with the with the office, yeah, I've, I've been to that office and I remember sort of visiting um, as a partner and uh, in a, another business that I had at the time, and it was a cool office. It was like really sort of setting a trend as well and sort of looks as, a, um, a, you know, at what you would expect today a um, technology business to look like, but it looked like it back then. Yeah, and again, I think this connects back to two things. One is this whole idea of an experience. 
you know, imagine if you're using Zero's tagline then was beautiful accounting software because it was, yeah. and that was an oxymoron because not only was Zero aesthetically easy to use and pleasant to use, people would never associate the word beautiful with accounting software. It was like you'd associate root canal treatment with <laughs> using accounting software. And so that was a great like provocative tagline for us. And so imagine you're using this beautiful accounting software and then you came to our offices and they were really shitty. They were like, well, that's not what I expected. I, I would have thought everything was amazing. And, and not just when customers would visit, we'd want to create an environment that was in alignment with our brand and our culture and our values. Equally, we wanted to attract great talent who wanted to work in an environment like that where they had, I mean, there's a great little kind of like sub story here. I mean, we've all been in businesses. We either, there's either a big drum of Nescafe instant coffee powder in the kitchen that's got a little bit dry around the edges and you've got to hack some coffee granules off or you've got a really lousy vending machine. And I remember at Pegasus, Pegasus had a vending machine and you had to pay for this like coffee flavored water, right? And, and because that was the only option you had, you kind of like the Stockholm syndrome of it comes in, you go, it's not that bad actually, it's pretty, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of like coffee. It has the caffeine in it. And then if you're really, really daring, you'd go for the vegetable soup, which was just like another gloop substance altogether and 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 like workplace environments and experiences have changed a lot since those days where you had to pay for this really crappy coffee and we got a we got like a full like coffee shop barista machine in like a proper big one that you can um, make proper coffee with and uh, and we got freshly ground coffee delivered every week and we got because Zero had so many customers that supplied coffee, we would buy from our customers. We'd try and buy as many things from our customers, actually. And we'd then, we'd, we'd get our customers to send their baristas into the office to train our people how to make great coffee. And to some minds and observers, that might sound like a bit exuberant. That might sound like, you, you did that? You, you spent like five grand on a coffee machine. You spent a couple of hundred pounds a week on fr freshly ground roasted coffee, you got training done. We, have fr we had fresh bread deliveries every day. We had like fresh fruit deliveries every day. We had all these little kind of things that I, rem I imagine some kind of finance directors were going, really, how much so is that costing you? He was giving back to the customers. Well, y y y it, there, there's, when you think about, if it co let's say it costs you five grand a year to have great coffee in an office environment, frame it differently. If you could go to a business owner and say, if you pay me five grand, I will make your entire team 5%, 10% happier at work, more productive, they'll get more work done, they'll love coming to the office, and all you have to do is cut a check for five grand and I'll make that happen. Anybody would bite your arm off for that, right? If you can, if you can make my people happier for five grand, well, that's all it costs to get great coffee in an office, but so many businesses Approach up. Oh, we're not going to do that. We'll just go to like um, we'll get like a big a big tin of of of, Nespre uh, of, of Nescafe and or, and Nespresso is a great intermediate, by the way. Not everybody can justify a big industrial one, but if you've got a large team, you can. And so many business owners um, get that the wrong way around. They go, "Man, oh, we're going to spend five grand on coffee. That's ridiculous." No, actually, you're not spending five grand on coffee. You're spending five grand on creating an amazing environment for your people who will be more productive and happier and will love coming to work. And your people 
massively impact how happy your customers are. Your customers can't be happier than your own people are. So it pays to invest in a great workplace, a great environment, because it's not just good for, 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 for your team, it's good for business as well, but so many businesses get that the wrong way around. Yeah, no, it's, um, if you're managing your team by your account spreadsheet, you're, you're not managing correctly. No. No. The, um, very quickly picking up on that we both clearly sort of um, run by emotion. The you strike me as somebody that with and that milestone when you moved into that office you got there, you probably took a, a moment or two just to look at it. Um, a, a half a second. Yeah. Uh, I have a I have a, a, a an aversion. Um, or a, I wouldn't quite so far as, as call it a fear or a phobia, but I have a kind of superstitious aversion to pride. And I, and I think it stems from um, possibly the experience growing up seeing what happens when a business fails, right? And so you don't, you don't want to kind of go through that again. Um, but I remember getting my arse kicked by my sales director in my early 20s and I was working for this IT services business in Glasgow and I was 21 and because I just got on and did it and was able to have discussions with business owners and founders and CEOs and entrepreneurs around the Glasgow area about technology in a way that they trusted me and they were, oh yeah I'll buy that. I was like I was selling like really big IT projects like hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of IT projects every other kind of month at the age of 20, 21. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy the proverbial coffee machine from a 21 year old today, but somehow I was able to convince these grown-ups to invest their entire IT strategy and future of their business as it related to IT into this kind of like scruffy 21, 22 year old tech guy. And I, and I did really well. This is about 1989, 1990. I'd only be doing it for about a year and I just like lucked in and just like, was successful. And then one of the things that happens early on in your career, if you experience that kind of success, you think, well, it's just, I must be really good at this. I must, I, I'm a natural, right? And what it was was actually quite a lot of luck. And unless you continually invest in building your sales pipeline, it was in those days, then you might be salesman of the month or salesperson of the quarter, but unless you've put the groundwork in to keep your pipeline going and to keep all of your other projects going, then you won't, you'll be at the bottom of the table the following month. And I remember um, getting, getting a bit of a, bit of a chat from my sales director and I'm like, I'm top sales guy. I mean, like you can't, I'm, I'll just do what I want. I'm, I just like show up and business walks in the door. And I had, and I had, had like a quiet month. And he gave me some great, it was a really great wake up call actually about, no, no, that's not how it works, son. You've got to really put the effort in all the time, sustained, consistent effort day after day after day. And if you do that and you're also lucky, then you'll do all right. And so that has stuck with me. And I therefore have always had a sense of resisting the desire to feel too proud of my achievements and our achievements as a business. I remember it was like famously in Zero, anytime we finished the, 
the financial year or because of course Zero is like a public company in, in Australia and was in New Zealand in those days and so we were ha we were having to like publish our results every six months and it's like handing in your homework in public here's how the business is growing and 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 I remember like one of my kind of catch catchphrases I'd sign off my emails whenever we'd achieved some new milestone or some new achievement it was like fantastic work team light a cigar put your feet up for 15 minutes and get right back to it, right? Because we don't have time to celebrate. We don't have time to run around high-fiving and body slamming about how amazing a job we've done. And I think that's partly because I had this fear that if we did that, we'd kind of lose the hustle, we'd lose the momentum. And so I think, I think uh, I'm very grateful for the time that I had at zero, I, I feel a sense of achievement, taking a business from the size it was to now watch, like, like, I mean, you see adverts for accounting software on TV now. I mean, accounting software has been domesticated in that, which is ridiculous. And if we've played a part in that, it's great. Um, but the reason I got into this wasn't to sit back one day and feel proud of my achievements. The reason I got into it was driven by my purpose and my passion and my love for technology and love for supporting small businesses. That's what I feel um, feels like more of an achievement for me, helping other business owners and their families um, have a good lifestyle and achieve success. And if, if my involvement in getting zero going here has in any way uh, contributed to that. I feel more satisfaction about that than how amazing the office is and all the awards and all the glitz and the glamour. That's great, but that wasn't why I did it. I find that interesting because I don't disagree with anything you've said, but I also feel it's important to recognise your achievements along the way. Um, to to know you're on the you know you're on the path of where your vision is going, the I equally when as an organisation we have achievements as a company it's it's we um, and I would be the first to recognise a member of the team that you say did a good job there you know that's fantastic or you achieved well there uh, but in the same vein like using like your expression there for half a second um, I would argue that the you're the window dress you have the vision you're going there and it is a team effort because without the team um, as business founders or owners, we're not we're not who we are we we need the team behind us we're not it's not a one-man show so no. to speak the so it is a team effort but um, I would I mean, we're being pedantic about terminology here. I take that um, for long, but the it's it's not half a second. I literally I would argue that it's important for everybody to have a bit more than to literally turn around and just have that pat on the back for a moment um, and recognise those achievements um, and recognise them in a to take a, a point to take a brief breath and just say. We're on the right track, guys. Literally, we've done good here. We've done well. Let's have a drink, whatever it might be. Um, but to make, to actually make that concerted effort to recognise it and then get on. But then, just for you personally, the um, I, I follow up um, 
the sort of like question I was going to ask you um, because I've never experienced this and I can only just imagine how I would feel uh, when you have an event like ZeroCon. Uh, so here you've got a, a business that, again, going back to that uh, is like a like literally a micro business um a handful of people working from home less you know 50 odd k turnover and then you're at an exhibition center with the team stage out there um the walking out on that stage and looking out into effectively the darkness of hundreds of faces um of a team that you led you lead um like just how so many questions but literally how does that feel it feels um so the last zero con that i did was 2019 which before the pandemic um and that's one that brad burton spoke at actually yeah. he did a great job there and so that's at the um excel docklands yeah. uh, center in their big shed and what I love about that is it's like um, three and a half, three thousand, three and a half thousand people in, in, in the darkness. And you're talking about VAT returns and, and, and tax software. And like the, it, there's something like it's the it's like a rock concert setting, but talking about the most boring subject ever. I love the, the incongruity <laughs> of that. Um, I do you know what I think if I stopped and thought about what I was doing, I probably ha have had a nervous breakdown. You, you know what I mean? I think there's this idea of like, whatever you do, don't look down. Just keep climbing. Because if you look down, you're gonna completely like freak yourself out about how high you've climbed. So just, don't, just keep going that way. And so uh, whether it was like go going on stage at zero con to 3000 people or any of the other kind of big moments, um, they just felt like doing, I was just doing my job. You know what I mean? I was grateful for, for it. It was great to, to, to be part of that community. But again, I would place myself in that context as um, doing what we set out to do like 10, 12 years previously. Um, and I, that sounds like, I, I, know, I know why you're asking, because it sounds like I'm almost like um, I'm ignorant of how ridiculous that context as we're moving out from a tiny software company to six, 700 staff and all the, the success that Zero has had. And for it to be going, yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty cool, actually, it was all right. And it, but I was pretty much, yeah, this is great. And, and it's like where we expected it to be and just don't screw it up and keep going and keep going and keep pushing and keep learning and resisting complacency. Um, and so it was amazing. But it was, it was my job, and I just got out there and did the best job that I could do, whether it was at ZeroCon or whether that was in the office or, or wherever the context was. I don't know. I, 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 know, I know what you're asking. I'm, I'm maybe not explaining my, no, my thinking well. Where you say, um, I wouldn't use the term sort of ignorant to it in a, sort of the literal sense, because the I feel I'd agree with you. Um, I can, as I said, only imagine, but if I was in that situation and if I stopped on that stage and just let, let that sink in, I'd probably shit myself uh, uh, or like 
like collapse, like literally like fuck. And then at that moment, instantly massive imposter syndrome, yep. and all those things kick in. So the I, I agree why, but I'm imagining this scenario that either um which is what's behind the question either you're being the person you need to do to be to do what you need to do to just keep going uh, and or the you're at that point now where business is growing so rapidly that it's becoming a hamster wheel kind of situation where you are constantly you're you're, you're you're on a treadmill um of rapid growth now growing and running a huge organization yeah where you're not the guy delivering yeah. the flyers now literally and you're the train's running and you're on that train that like now you it's, the tracks aren't moving you're you're on that journey and it's the journey's taking you uh and that's that's the kind of picture I'm almost picturing up in my head. Yeah, asking, which is I, I, where I'm coming from with the question. I don't think no. I I I definitely wasn't a passenger on the train. I mean, so that ZeroCon 2019, me and a couple of other people spent about four hours building the agenda for that. And so I was still right in the like this is the shape that that was designing the shop front for ZeroCon. Right, I was designing the shop window. Or what we wanted it to be, and so I was um, still felt a huge personal responsibility and accountability for the business and the events and the projects and the initiatives, and I'm still the designer, if you like, nudging people in the right direction or saying, no, don't do that, do it this way, and then getting out the way. And so I, I, I think, I think it's therefore because I just saw it as my, I, I, I was just do it, the same sense of belief. Conviction, motivation, passion, um, just at a bigger scale. You know what I mean? And and, and we and it got to three thousand, but it wasn't three thousand on day one. It was like ten, and then it was fifty, and then, and so you you build up to that. It's not like one day you're nowhere, and the next minute you're you're talking to three thousand people. So the next one's it's just a little bit more than it was before. It, yeah, literally, it's just what's well, like last year's, but a bit bigger. Okay. Um, and, and again, back to this sense of belief, success visualization, I would have run through in my mind. I mean, I'm fundamentally an introvert. I'd quite, I'm quite happy being in my own company and, um, and, and not ticking the limelight. But as the managing director, I, I had to get up on stage and, and talk about where we're going and what the vision was. And I thought, I right, would better do that then. And, and, but I don't, I don't it, it was just like, it was just my job. I loved it. It was great fun. And I really enjoyed doing it. Um, uh, but it, 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 I, I think, as I said earlier, you just don't look down, right? Just keep climbing up the ladder and don't look down and you're all right. Just look at wh wh where you are right now in relation to, to, to the growth and yeah, because if you actually hit the pause button and stopped and took a step back and looked at it, you would freak out. Did you have a, whether it was like a formal part of the business plan or whether it was just your own? A particular milestone or two within uh, the business that you was like that's what we're going for whatever shape that is that uh, was sort of driving you yeah I think a couple, a couple I, I think again driven by the belief and conviction that, that the world of software was completely going to transition to cloud um, 
which then meant that actually more people would end up using it because old software was difficult, expensive, clunky, complicated, and that's why lots of business owners still use, use spreadsheets. And so therefore the potential market for a product like Zero was in the millions, um, not just like a couple of hundred thousand, because well, why wouldn't everybody use this in business? Therefore that's the opportunity. Um, and I remember early on being interviewed by a journalist or, or, or an analyst, and they were saying, well, wh how big do you think this could be? And I go, oh, zero could get to a million customers easily in the UK. I mean, it might take a while, but there's a reason why we can't get to a million. And zero's not quite there yet, but in the, uh, I'm sure in the, next, in the next year or so, it will pass by a million. And so th there was that part of it, that, that kind of vision for what this could be. Um, and um, and in terms of our growth, because we were a like fast growth SaaS company, and, and zero, we had raised lots and lots of um, money from venture capital firms, who had some of the largest venture capital firms in the world. Had, and, and, and over the course of like five or six years, we probably raised like half a billion dollars of of, of investment to really build a, a, a I mean, building a, a global business is not not cheap to do that and to hire the people. Um, and therefore that basically set the expectation that we needed to be, certainly in the early years, we need to be at least doubling every year in size. And so that's a pretty focusing kind of uh, metric to shoot for. It's like, how much did we sell last year? Okay, we have to do at least double that next year. Um, and then we have to do double that a year after that. So you have this idea of like compounding growth over, over time. And, um, and, and, and even now, I mean, zero as a business is, 15 years old and still growing at 30%, which is insane when you think about it. I mean, like for a 15 year old business that has grown exponentially over that time to still be growing at the rate that it is, is a huge feat uh, and achievement, which I'm sure the team are very proud of still. Um, but it's pretty easy. It's like, you've got to keep at least doubling. And, it, and then once you get to the Sounds point, easy when you say it quick. well, well, that's kind of that's your start. If your starting point is you have to double, you know, well, well, that's the answer. Now go and work out how you're going to get there. The um, uh, three things are three is always a nice and easy magic number to say. So if somebody has a, and it's usually technology, but I say it could be applied to any business really, a a unicorn style business that people aspire to have and they have these um, ambitions of the kind of growth that you took zero through and I'm still going to give you that you know I know it's a team but I'm going to credit you thank you the the uh, that you took zero uh, through um, what sort of advice would you give them that um, would put them in good stead um, I have this conversation a lot no, um, because I, one of the things I enjoy doing is I'm uh, like coaching and kind of chatting with all our founders and CEOs and trying to share some of my experience. I think uh, a few things. One is you're probably not thinking big enough. It's really easy to almost unwittingly be conservative about what the potential opportunity is for your business. I mean, clearly you have to have some sense of there's a market for this and it's, it's, it's however size that might be. Um, but I think there's an inherent conservatism that is prevalent. Maybe it's a British thing, I don't know, where nobody wants to stretch themselves too far in case it, 
it doesn't work out in case you fail. And there's this kind of fear of failure and there's a kind of uh, negative stigma attached with failing and with failing businesses. And so people don't necessarily want to put their neck on the line. But if you had a product or a service and the potential market for that was huge and you had faith in your product or your service and your own team and your ability, then why would you restrict your ambition? You mean, well, you look, well, what is the, how big could this be? And, and think about it from a top-down assumption basis, not an incremental up, ground up. And there's so many businesses go, well, what did we sell last year? Well, we sold, we sold, a, we sold a million and a half. And so what do you think we should sell next year? And you say, well, I don't know, was 10% more sound good? Maybe 20? I mean, what, 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 that sounds like, why don't we go for 20? We'll shoot for 20% growth, because that's kind of respectable. And it won't require too much effort, and we won't have to go and hire that many more people. So we'll just play it safe, and we'll, 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 we'll grow by 20%, which is fine, right? And actually, for some businesses, maybe 20% is the right number. But what you don't do is you don't actually even ask the question, could it be 40? Could it be 80? Could it be 100% growth? And, and if the answer to that question is, it absolutely could be 100% growth, then you're being delinquent as a founder by not investing to capture that. You know what I mean? But there's this sense of undershooting or undercooking it or being too conservative that I think most people um, um, could, could do uh, with getting rid of and just thinking, well, what, how big could this be? Um, and, and, and like, if the opportunity was that big, then why wouldn't we find the talent and the capital to invest to build it? The, the other thing is that it's probably going to take longer than you realize as well. And so people think, well, I'm going to come up with like a one year or two year or three year plan. And then by year three, it will be flying. And it's like, and, and usually all the growth is back ended to a three year plan because it's again, people want to be conservative and sensible. And, and after two years of being conservative and sensible and all of a sudden it's just going to explode. It doesn't actually happen like that. So don't back end your growth. Um, but be prepared for it to take longer than you think as well. And, and, and your three-year expectations might take five years or they might take six years or they might go in a different direction. And again, um, we, we maybe have the habit of oversimplifying, well, we'll just hire some people and we'll do a bit of this and a bit of that. And then some, some magical marketing dust sprinkled on what we're doing. And then in a year, we'll be at five million. And it probably won't work out like that either. And that maybe sounds a bit contradictory because on one hand, I'm saying you're not thinking big enough. But then I'm saying it'll probably take longer. And I think they're both accurate. I think that's my experience. It's going to take you longer. It's going to be harder. There's going to be many more mistakes and failures along the way. But you're probably also not thinking big enough. And then the final thing is um, people. And it's probably the most important part of that is that you can't get there on your own. Um, you need to have a good sense of your own capability and whatever your kind of strong sweet spot is in terms of your, 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 where you're coming from, but it's all about people. It's all about people. You've got to get people that want to sign up to the journey, that understand this concept of people don't buy products and services anymore, they buy experiences. And, and every touch point has to be consistent and amazing. And people that, that, that see that no matter where they are in the business, it's their responsibility to represent the whole business. 
and to work hard and to and to push themselves. And I think if you can find great people, lead them and and and, and trust them to get on with it, then that's what will carry the business. And you might not be able to attract the right experience at the very beginning because people with lots and lots of experience tend not to like to go and have to roll up their sleeves in a startup but at certain points so as you grow you must always be looking how do we supercharge the team how do we get the next layer of capability into the business to prepare it for the next phase of growth and so constantly changing and building and bolstering your people um, and finding great people and hanging on to them for all you can Absolutely. The people aspect is something which the, if I was to pick out those three, would be like the most important in a sense because like we were talking about earlier, you can be the greatest founder in the world, but if you haven't got the team with you, then you, you, you don't have anything really. No. The, uh, you've, um, you've come out of zero now and the um you're looking for your next adventure or what does uh, the future have for um i don't think i think i'm now living my next adventure it may be a bit more sedate than the kind of frenetic life i had at zero um uh but I'm still, I mean, I, I guess I'm, instead of doing one big thing now, I'm doing like 20 smaller things, which is still making me quite busy, weirdly. So that wasn't part of the plan. Um, I'm, I'm on a couple of boards. I'm still, I still um, have like one pinky toe in the zero tent. Um, I'm on, on non-executive director and a, a subsidiary inside of the zero group, which, which is great fun because I get to kind of hang out with my old zero colleagues every couple of months at board meetings there. I'm on another board of a, a startup, which um, which has got great potential. It's the product's not even built yet. It's not never mind pre-revenue. It's pre-product, but that that will change soon. So that's again like thinking about how can I help, not being operationally involved, but how can I guide and support another founder in that startup journey. Um, and you know, I was saying to my wife. Um, the other week that I've, I've somehow in the, in the year since I stepped away from zero, um, I've, I've, I've managed to, I'm, I'm working less intensively than I was um, because it was an incredibly intensive job. Um, a lot of international travel prior to the pandemic and obviously managing the size of the business now was, was quite demanding on time. So I'm not working as hard, but I'm, I'm still, all the stuff I love doing and all the stuff I loved about my role at Zero, I'm kind of I've recreated some of that. And so having great conversations, I love solving problems. I remember we when I finished um, a, a year ago, and I literally unplugged from everything in January and February this year. And because we're still in the kind of second phase of the pandemic, you couldn't really go anywhere anyway. And then once the kind of world began to open up. I thought, hey, we're going to have a holiday. So we, me and my wife and my daughter, we disappeared for a couple of weeks off the beach at the end of March. And it was great. It was like great food and great sun. It was great being out of the country. And I'm sitting on the sun lounger every day, reading my Kindle and kind of learning about what's coming next. And I had this like mild panic attack. I thought, when was the last time like I had a business issue in my head or a problem to solve? And because I'd stepped away from all of that, my world was full of everything but that. And I recognized that although I'm an introvert, 
and, I, and I'm very comfortable just like plodding along on my own. Um, I learned by walking away that I still need other people. I need, like, I, I, had a, I had a conveyor belt of problems coming at me all day long in my, my, my career. And in January this year, that conveyor belt switched off. And it took me a couple of months to notice that. And so what I've been doing since kind of like April, May, is just like trying to help other people solve problems. Um, often, and I don't mean like on a paid consulting basis, I'm literally just hanging out with other business owners and founders and trying to help them in some way, whether that's like a half hour Zoom call or kind of meeting up with them, because I love the discussion, I love the problem solving part of it. Um, and and, and I, I could do it all day long, that's what I love doing. And so um, I, I probably coached and mentored and had conversations with maybe 40, 50 CEOs and founders over the last 12 months. I'm doing a bit of investing in some of them, some of the tiny bit of angel investing. Um, I started a newsletter a couple of months ago. Thank you very much, Because partly because I'm fundamentally lazy. And I was doing all these calls with other CEOs and founders, and they were all asking me the same questions. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting bored, like saying the same stuff. And I'm, do you know what? I'm just going to write it all down now. <laughs> and just like, go and read the newsletter about how to set up your business for growth. And so the closest thing I now have to like a day job is my Monday newsletter, which I um, haven't written. This Monday's coming, so I'm going to have to get my skates on because it's Friday. And, uh, but um, yeah, I'm having fun doing lots of lots of small things, um, but I'm still fundamentally driven the same way that I was when I began my career. I still love technology. I think I'm beginning to have a picture form in my mind about what the next 10 years of tech is. I'm not going to share it with you now because I need to think about it a bit more. Well, I might write about next it. question then. Well, <laughs> I, you'll have to read the newsletter, but I think, uh, I think my kind of spidey sense is kind of helping me is kind of coalescing around a couple of areas where I think this new world of cloud apps that we're now all in, where does that go? And I, I'm quite excited about that. Um, and um, I'm, I'm, it's great, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. And I, don't, I only literally had to travel two miles to be here today because I literally live in the next village from, yes, from uh, where we're sitting. I was, I was um, shocked to find that out. Yeah. I, the, um, so obviously I can't ask you my next question of where do you see the evolution disruption of business going then because you've just said, won't say that. But the, uh, so skipping to the next one, where, uh, if you was to give a, no, we're not talking like the, the high growth, so slight, you know, you might have the same advice, but you've got a young person sat in front of you who's um, dreaming about starting their own business they um, they haven't even started yet. They just think about, I want to do this. What would be the three nuggets of advice you'd give that young person? Um, go on and do it, because it's through doing something that you you learn and you'll get instant feedback um, and you'll discover gaps in your own knowledge and your own capability. So don't procrastinate. Um, it's actually. Um, incredibly easy now to start a business today. Um, when you consider when, when we both began in our careers, you'd like you'd need to write up a business plan, you need to go to your bank manager, 
just to get the bank account. Literally, yeah. yeah, like, please get, can we have a bank account and maybe a line of credit and maybe a loan to go and like have an office and a receptionist and a telephone system and fax machines and company cars and all that stuff. Now, like, you can have an idea to set up a business and it could be, uh, it could be running like an hour later. Do you think that's sidetracking if we go um, um, any further? Do you think that's all positive? Um, do you know what I think? Um, How easy it is for anybody to just create a company, yeah, like in minutes, like online. I, I think, do you know what? I, I think I have to take the long view there and say I think it is positive. Will it be positive in every situation? No, but that's like business. Like not every business succeeds. Um, I think the fundamentals of like working life have changed in the last 40 years where we've gone through like kind of the last gasp of what was the industrial revolution and, and, and we all like commute to offices in the morning or we work in factories and we put in a shift and then we come home and we get up, we get paid and running a business was the preserve of the elite or the few risk takers, the entrepreneurs, the true kind of like early, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and now I think r doing your own thing has been massively democratized that anybody can now do that, like, because you don't have to have an office, you don't have to have the physical manifestation of a business to get one up and running, you don't have to have a great bank manager. You can just have a few hundred quid in your bank account, and register a website, depending so on what you're doing. Earlier, yeah, like, you know, you, all, you pretty much everybody knows somebody who's running absolutely a hustle, a small business. And and so I think that what's amazing about this world that we're now in, and I met so many, like meeting so many customers that were using zero and hearing their stories about how they got going. And there's a a, a great business that like online um, craft beer delivery service. Yeah. And it was a bunch of 20-somethings that set it up. And they all had like proper day jobs. And they were working in banking or financial services or some kind of corporate job. And then in the evenings, they were working on their side hustle. And then at the weekends, they were working on their, their side hustle. And then, and then eventually, the side hustle kind of got to the point where they could jump off the salary lily pad onto the the, the, the side hustle was big enough to actually pay the rent and put food on the, the, the table. And, and it took them two years to do that transition. And, and so they wouldn't have been able to do that before the age of the, you couldn't have had two jobs before the age of the internet. And so I think that therefore means that doing your own, like you, you, go, to, you go to school, you go to college, you go to uni, you get a massive amount of student debt. You then try and get a job to pay all that off over the next 10 or 15 years. Or you go, do you know what? I'm actually going to, I'm not going to get a student loan. I'm not going to go to college or uni. Um, I'm going to invest my time and effort and money in building a business. And I think being an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is such a kind of like um, difficult framing because it means different things to different people. But whatever, running your own business now is a viable career pathway for many more people than it ever was. And so th I think that's good. Will they all succeed? No, but that's never been the case in anything. You might fail in, in, a, in a kind of corporate career. Um, but the fact that 
you now can do your own thing without having to get permission from somebody, I think is a fundamentally good thing. Um, and therefore, I think that the, the landscape of the kind of working population over the course of the next 20 or 30 years will change dramatically into more people doing their own, their own, calling it a side hustle, it will be the main hustle they're doing. And they'll completely bypass getting a job and working their way up the corporate ladder. And so, yeah, I, I think in the round, that is a good thing. Okay. So, um, so I interrupt you at that point just to ask that question. So what was the last part you'd give to a young person? Um, back yourself. And, it, and, it, and this, this, this idea of imposter syndrome or needing permission from somebody else to do something or to kind of back yourself is, I know something that I struggled with earlier in my career and, and, and everybody does. Like the, the reality is most people have imposter syndrome because it's actually a really healthy grounding safety valve that stops you from doing really wacky and stupid things. Um, but I think people can get too caught up in that, well, I'm not ready yet, or I don't have the confidence yet. Um, trust your judgment, trust your instincts. Um, find a great mentor or a couple of people that you can go to for advice. There's lots of like gray-haired and gray-bearded people like you and me kicking about who are happy to help. So find somebody that will kind of keep you on track and check in with them once a month. But back yourself and the chances are, um, if you have a sense of belief that you can make something work, that you can do something, you can achieve something, you'll probably do it better than everybody else because you'll do it the way that you want to do it and you'll do it in the way that you want to do it. And, and so I think it would be back yourself. And I, I wish I had um, maybe the, the, the opportunity to kind of back myself earlier uh, than I did. Um, and, and I finally realised that actually, no, it, it, it's okay having self-doubt and, and, and lacking confidence, but don't overdo it. And connect yourself to a purpose, connect yourself to something that you feel convicted about, and that will pull you to it. And for me, that was like solving problems for small businesses. So find your thing and back yourself. The, um, throughout your whole career, whether it's like before uh, zero and sort of that drove you to push yourself out through Pegasus, keeps you like all like both now and back then looking what's you know what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, um, and kept you going through that rapid growth in zero. What is in here that keeps driving you? Um, I, I don't, I don't know, Richard. That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I think I love hanging out with, with really good people that, um, I enjoy being around and working with and building things together. We're all inherently social animals at the end of the day. And I think there's a real sense there. Um, there's something about technology for me, um, particularly, that um, 
really early on in, in my in my life. I mean, as a teenager, like working with the BBC computers and the Commodore 64s, and there's something magical about software and like creating something and firing something up on a screen for the first time, and the potential that that has to take a situation, whether that's a business or a, a person or an individual or whatever, and making their lives easier or transforming them or giving them more opportunity. There's something like there's the disruptive dimension there that I love that. I'm always led to, and, and, and we touched on this earlier, is that I kind of have a respect for, but not too sentimental a respect for what I've achieved at zero because I'm always much more interested in what's coming next. You know what I mean? I, I have, like, I'd, I'd happily blow up what we're doing today if it meant that we could have something nicer tomorrow. And so I love that sense of disruption and creative destruction. And I think that drives me. I think this is great, but where could we take it? That question I constantly ask myself, and I think that's a big part of my drive. Um, um. I'm, I'm actually more intrigued to ask you que this question than I've ever been asked anybody else because of the how, as you just said, you know, respectful of what you achieve, but you know, the the pride is. How would you like to be remembered? Ah, oh. um, oh my goodness, that I, I, I'm resisting uh, the temptation to fall into David Brent territory here. Um, it's like a child out entertainment tenor first and great boss second. Um, I, I think, how would I like to be remembered? I, I think I'd, I'd like to be remembered. I don't, I, I, I haven't asked myself that question. It's a tough one. I think I'm a good guy to kind of like be around and work with, like not an arsehole. There's too many people like that around and you don't want to be adding to that pool. Um, do the best you can do and, and therefore I think hardworking. Um, I, I, I'm known for an amazing sense of humor. I say that ironically, obviously. This is one of the great things about being the boss is that everyone laughs at your jokes, oh, right? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, you walk around and think, do you know what? I actually am bloody funny because every time I tell a joke or every time I sit down with the team and I talk about what my weekend was like, everybody's really interested. So I must be really interesting so and you funny. you go home and then your kids look at you like, shut down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, and and actually, they've been professionally interested in you and prof professionally laughing at your jokes. Anyway, I, I actually do think I have a great sense of humour. And so I think I've... If I, if I think, I'm, I'm homing on it now, I think it's like fun. Like achieving something meaningful and it helps lots of businesses, but doing it in a way that people had fun doing it. People enjoyed it. They had a laugh. It was a, 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 a bunch of great, fun, happy memories. Uh, because why be miserable uh, otherwise? You know what I mean? And so I think Basically, a uh, chilled out entertainer. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's been, um, even from the just the, the research of uh, sitting and having this chat was fascinating and just having the conversation didn't disappoint. Uh, it's been really great chatting with you, Gary, and thank you for coming in. Thank you, Richard. It's been great. I've enjoyed it.
I hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, please remember to hit follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. It really helps the algorithm and push this podcast up through the rankings. And also leave some feedback. I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Drive. Until next time, this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF.